Okay, good morning, folks. Are you hearing me on? Can you hear me? Am I, am I coming through? I trust I am. I'm all mic'd up. I feel like I'm all mic'd up. Folks, I haven't brought the word to you in our church in more than six months. And we, uh, if you're watching online, live streaming, we actually have a very good crowd here this morning. I'm telling you, this feels good. Wow. It's so nice to speak and not just have to look at the back of your phone the whole time. So thank you, thank you for giving me <laughs> coming along this morning. And so um, I'm, I'm hearing a bit of an echo somewhere. Um, I'm not sure where that is. But as we, as we go to the Word this morning, I just want to pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your Word. I want to thank you, Lord, for faith to arise. Lord, you say that faith comes by hearing. And that hearing that we're talking about comes from your Word. So, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, come down. Holy Spirit, our hearts are holy ground. Holy Spirit, as we look at your Word, Lord, as I bring forth your Word, as you've given it to me, Lord, I pray that faith would arise, Lord. A faith that pleases you. Lord, as, as, as Jenny said, quoting from Hebrews uh, 11.6, Lord, without faith it's impossible to please you. But Lord, with faith, Lord, we know we always please you. And so, Lord, we come to you, Lord, with, I pray, a faith that pleases you. A faith ignited by your word that has been revealed to us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we come to you with that kind of faith this morning. Name. Amen. Okay, I trust you can see my slides and I'm starting off with a big thank you. And the thank you is thank you Lord. And why am I saying that? On Thursday night in our prayer meetings, I had such a conviction that we have seen this pandemic turn around in such a radical way in our nation. All the scientists and doctors predicted that we would see the peak of this pandemic Round about now, sort of, you know, September, October, November. And and they expected the numbers that they were predicting were that South Africa would be way higher than in Europe because of our high HIV and TB infection rates. And so, you remember, beginning of March, there were not very good um, predictions made of what the future would hold. And I believe it's just miraculous that our infection rates in South Africa have been seven times lower than in the United Kingdom. Seven times, folks. Scientists can't explain it. Despite our high HIV and TB infection rates, we have a seven times lower mortality rate. And we peaked in this infection, in this pandemic, in July, like two to three months before they thought we would peak. And so I've got this graph over there. And what I did with this graph, I, was, I, I wanted to look exactly when we peaked, and that graph shows you it's new cases in South Africa, and that was, I, I looked at that on Thursday, so that was, that was up to date on Thursday. And then what I decided to do, I clicked on the graph, and I looked exactly what were those dates. And the thing that I was so interested to look at is, we had our mid-year prayer and fasting and consecration week in July, so I went to go look. And we finished our week of consecration and prayer on the 23rd of July, and we finished it with our prayer chain. Remember, many of you were part of that prayer chain. On the 23rd is when we finished our prayer and fasting and consecration, and the major focus of that was praying, uh, uh, praying literally, to use Bible terms, 
that God would stop the plague. That's in the Old Testament. A number of times the plague would come among the people and the people would pray. And I shared on Thursday the story of how David interceded and prayed that the plague would stop. And it stopped with this one guy threshing through. And I prayed on Thursday. I said, guys, and David went and sacrificed in that place where he saw literally the angel of death was stopped. And, and on Thursday night in prayer, I, I said, guys, I feel we need to establish and bring the sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise to God because the plague in our land has stopped. That brought tells you. And exactly on the 23rd, at the end of our week of prayer and fasting, that was the day it peaked. The numbers of positive cases on that day were 13,104. And after that, it has dramatically dropped day after day. Now, I'm not thinking that it was only our prayers that changed it. Millions of South Africans were praying. But I'm just delighted that we were part of the team that prayed. I cannot, I cannot get up here, and I'm, I'm so grateful many of you, you, we can't say that we sat back on our gluteus maximuses and kind of just watched the show. We got on our knees and we've been praying and we've been saying, Lord, stop the plague. And we have seen a dramatic reduction in infections. And, and, and we are staying in prayer. We're staying on our knees. Why? As you've seen in Europe, the second wave is coming. We are saying, no, we, we are not receiving a second wave in our nation. Amen? So we're not going to now sit back, okay? We stay and we are staying as watchmen on the walls. We are saying, no, we take responsibility for our land in prayer and we pray. So I want to say thank you. And I want to say, can we keep on thanking the Lord? I'm so often convicted by this, uh, the story of the 10 lepers, where Jesus healed 10 guys of leprosy. And only one of them, one out of nine, came back and gave thanks. And I'm saying, Lord, may we not be a house where we pray and pray and pray, but we never give time to thank God for the miracle of what that graph shows us. None of the scientists predicted that. Amen? But we, as the people of faith, honestly, I'm saying, <laughs> I, that graph just gives me so much faith. Amen? So let's praise God for that. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just give the Lord a So my message this morning is actually entitled Faith for Fresh Winds and New Growth. Now if you, were, if you were at our conference, you know that's the theme of our conference this year was Fresh Winds and New Growth. And as, as I was praying, just flying out of the conference, I just had this, just one word as I was praying and saying, Lord, what word do you want to bring? And I just got the word faith. And I just believe that is such a key. We are going to trust God. God's spoken this. He wants to bring this. But what is our response to the Word of God? Well, our first and initial response is faith. And we say, yes, Lord, for fresh winds and new growth. And where we're going to go for this is I actually want to go, um, and I want to tell you a little story before we, before we move on. So just, just uh, we'll stay on that slide for now. And this is a story of Sarah Brethner. And um, she tells the story about um, her husband. He was a businessman, and he had to go on a business trip. He was attending conference, and this was in the United States, at a city down at the coast somewhere, and um, they decided that um, uh, Sarah would go with her husband, and they had a little daughter, and the two of them would go with on this business trip and have a bit of a holiday down at the beach, 
uh, while, while uh, Dad is in the conference. And they were staying in this hotel. And the one morning, the hotel announced that... Um, I'm, I'm not on that slide yet. Um, uh, and one morning, the, the, the hotel announced that um, there was going to be free elephant rides for the kids that afternoon for everybody who stayed staying in the hotel. And Sarah actually describes the, the, the reality of, she, she says this, my little daughter Katie was delirious with excitement. Don't you love that, that statement, delirious with excitement? I've had three daughters and a son, and I just know the joy of a little kid at the anticipation of something exciting. And so uh, mom Sarah took little Katie and she had a wonderful ride on the elephant. And afterwards they came back and, and, and Sarah was talking to her little daughter and just speaking and, and reflecting on this. And she said, life is always full of wonderful surprises if we're open to them. Some mornings you get up not knowing what will happen and you get to ride an elephant that day. And I, I, I just love that. You know, Jesus also speaks of uh, the, the, the faith of children and, and having childlike faith. Now, there's a big difference between having childlike faith and being childish in your faith. Huge difference. But then what happened was so interesting. They got home after their holiday, and Sarah had got an email. She was a journalist. And she got an email inviting her on a, a trip across to Ireland. It was a business trip. And Sarah had never been. But she, she, she called the person who was organizing the trip and she was discussing. She said, you know, you know I'm not such a spontaneous person. And, uh, you know, we've just traveled. And uh, I, I don't think I'm keen to go on this trip. So she puts the phone down. And her husband comes to her, comes to Sarah. And he says to her, So, I see you don't want to go for a ride on the elephant. <laughs> Sarah says she picked up the phone. She called back. She said, I'm going on that trip. Okay. And it's just, it's just, what am I talking about? Remember, I'm talking about faith for fresh winds and new growth. Faith for fresh winds and new growth. And the reality is that. This story about this story about the riding on the elephant. I'm, I'm asking you, and I'm being challenged by the story of fresh winds and new growth. Are you open to riding on an elephant? Are you open to riding on an elephant? I'm telling that story, and I just want to say something that I said at the introduction to the conference. And this is the reality. You know, sometimes when we talk fresh winds and new growth, and new things. We, we often think, and I've got this picture, that what the Lord is going to bring, and I've got the picture of a shiny, brand new gadget. You know, what is that new gadget? I, I was just speaking to some, some people yesterday, and they were telling me about fancy new smartwatch they got, or whatever. You often think of new as, like, really new. But I was convicted about this reality. Sometimes the Lord will gift wrap something really beautiful for you. 
something that is more precious than any smart new gadget that comes out of China. And, and, and I've got this picture and this impression of the Lord actually gift wrapping a precious, imagine, say your grandmother somehow had this precious piece of jewelry and it was gift wrapped and given to you. And I want to tell you, a fancy new gadget from China as opposed to a precious piece of jewelry from your grandmother. The value is hard to compare. And sometimes the Lord gift wraps an ancient promise that he's had for you and your family. Maybe it's something your grandmother was contending for. Maybe it's the faith that was alive in your grandmother, spiritually speaking, that God is bringing back to you. And sometimes the old is the new or the ancient or the priceless that God is rewrapping and saying, yeah, will you continue contending for this? Will you continue pressing in for this? And so I'm just bringing that. Sometimes the Lord brings back something, something that's precious, that's not a shiny new gadget, but a precious image. Okay, so the scripture we're looking at is Hebrews chapter 11. And I was reading, during the lockdown, I was reading Hebrews chapter 11, and um, I underlined so much. And I was so excited to share it all. And then I started putting it in PowerPoint slides. And I just, the slides just got more and more. And I was realized there is just too much in this chapter to bring in one message. So don't worry, we're not going to be all day. Here, here we go. But we've got to start in verse 1. It says, Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It's all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. I'm going to line just two things there, and just to, just to highlight this. Faith brings our hopes into reality. Okay, you're at home, you can do this over here. Tell your neighbor, faith brings our hopes into reality. Okay, you can talk to the person next to you, okay? Socially distance, okay? It's fine. Faith brings our hopes into reality. And you've heard me say this before, that hope is the atmosphere within which faith thrives. So I'm not talking about hope this morning. Hope is vital. Don't throw away your hope. But faith reaches into that atmosphere, reaches into the hope. And the things you hope for are many more than the things you have faith for. Because faith reaches into your world of things you're hoping for. And based on God's promises, and based on a deep conviction that the Holy Spirit is wanting to, to reach into the realm of hope and bring this into your life, and bring a reality, that's what faith does. Faith brings our hopes into reality. Okay? And, and, um, and I'm just, this is the, the Passion Bible. It says it slightly differently, and, and I'm, I'm just loving just hearing a different version of this. And so faith brings our hopes into reality. We're talking about fresh winds and new growth. Folks, I'm challenging you, I'm challenging all of us, that you're, that you're not just in hope for fresh winds and new growth, that you actually move into faith for specific things that's in the realm of your hope, in the world of your hope around you, that you reach with your heart based on the promises of God, based on a conviction of the Holy Spirit that He's wanting you to excite your faith in for this, for that, for whatever. 
and that we, we reach into that hope and we make it real. Secondly, it says, and becomes the foundation needed. Folks, faith is foundational. It always will be. Help me if, ever, if I ever move away from the, the absolute imperative foundation, which is faith. And I was thinking about this when Jen and I were newly married. We were staying in a, in a, little, a little duplex complex, little, little, little place where we, we first started our little family. But um, next door, there was a new area being developed, new housing development. And what we, we often used to go for walks. I used to love when I came home from work, we'd put the baby in the front carrier, all warm, all nice, etc. And we would go for walks and talks. And it was just such good memories we have of those times walking and talking. And we loved walking through this new area. And every now and then we would see a new, a new house being developed. And what Jim and I loved, going, loved doing was actually to go and look at the newly dug foundations. And try and figure out what the house is going to look like. You know, and you'd look and you say, oh, I'm not sure that's like the main bedroom. And I think that's a bathroom and that's the kitchen. And, and we're just looking at holes dug in the ground. We could see a whole house. You can see this. And then, you know, a couple of months later, boom, there's the house. And it's like, look, honey, there's the bed. Remember, we walked here. You can see it. But this, this speaks to our faith being a foundation. See, the rest, it's the first part that goes in with your faith. The rest will come, but you've got to get the foundation right. You can't build a house without a foundation, okay? It's absolutely foundational. And verse 2 says, This is the test me of faith. This test me of faith is what previous generations were commended for. And then the writer of Hebrews goes through and he mentions all these guys. And I was so convicted. Would, would, would people say that of you? Would they say that of me? Are people, are your children going to look back at you? And say, my dad was a man of faith. My mom was a woman of faith. The Bible says that previous generations, they were commended for what? For faith. And if we look at this story, one person that particularly jumps out to me is the story of Sarah, Abraham's wife. If you read in Genesis, it actually doesn't paint a great picture of her unbelief that she would actually bring forth this child of promise. But yeah, in Hebrews, it is a very different story because in Hebrews, this writer of Hebrews is looking at the faith. And you see, we look at people differently when we look for and when we see their faith. And my challenge to you is, as Jesus said, you know, Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? What will you be commended for? When people look at, you know, people are not going to really stress about what car, they're not going to remember what car you drove. It's great to drive a nice car. Okay? But I'm telling you, generations from now, your faith will be an amazing testament. I'm challenged by that myself. Okay, the next slide, moving on to Hebrews um, 11 verse 3. Faith empowers us to see. I just underline that. Faith empowers us to see. Let's look what he's talking about. That the universe was created beautifully, coordinated by, by the power of God's words. He spoke and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. Here, it mentions this word beautiful, beautifully created and coordinated by power. You see, folks, it's easy to see faults. I remember Jan was praying in our prayer meeting just a while ago, 
know what she was praying, but she prayed about feet of clay. I can't remember what she was praying about. Jen's sitting right there, so she's looking at me quizzically. She probably can't even remember. She was praying something about feet of clay, and, and that's referring to the vision um, that Nebuchadnezzar had, that David interpreted in the book of Daniel. And the reality is we all have feet of clay, every one of us, okay? You don't have to put your feet under, the, under, your, bed, under your chair now, okay? It's figuratively speaking about we aren't all super strong in every area of our lives. We all have weaknesses. But this verse speaks about faith empowers us to see. And it speaks, it uses the word beautiful here. And yes, he's using about creation, but hey, every single person was created in the image of God. And I want to submit to you that sometimes and very often it requires faith to see the beauty in the creation that every person is before our Savior. Man, I look in spring in Maritzburg and I don't have a problem seeing God's beauty in creation. But do you have the faith to see the beauty in people around you? Yes, it's easy to see their feet of clay. Sometimes they're not wearing socks and it's like, hey, my man, I can see your feet of clay, okay? Figuratively speaking. But can you see the beauty of how people have been created in the image of God? And I want to put this slide on. There's a picture of Helen Keller. Helen Keller said this, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight with no vision. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Helen Keller, I mean her story is so inspiring. Quite a few movies and plays and books have been written about her. But let me just tell you about her story. I, I, I love this quote. I know this quote. And you see what she's talking about here is really talking about faith. We looked in that verse. It says faith empowers us to see. Folks, there are things that you see by faith that you cannot see with the natural eyes. And this is something that I want to change. If we are going to trust God for new wins, fresh wins and new growth, folks, we're going to have to see not with these natural eyes. We're going to have to look at just dirty trenches dug in the ground, which are foundations, and can see a beautiful building coming out of that. That requires faith. Some people will look at the dirty trenches, you know, it's just a bunch of holes dug in the ground. They cannot see the house. And you got eyes to see. As Helen Tennessee said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. And so I want to just tell you a little bit about her story because it's such an inspiring story. And Helen Keller was a Christian. Um, she came to the Lord when she was, was a young adult. And she said this about coming to know the Lord. She said this, I always knew that he was there. I just never knew his name. Mm. What a beautiful description of her awareness of the presence of the Lord. I always knew he was there. I just didn't know his name. And I would encourage you folks, many people have a God consciousness. They just need somebody to introduce them to his name. His name is Jesus. Amen. And I want to encourage you that that introduction, just this week, Nolene shared the beautiful story of her sister and sister's daughter both coming to 
know his name. And Nolene personally spoke to her sister and said, do you want to know Jesus? And Walter was out and went to speak to her daughter and asked her daughter the same thing. And both of them surrendered their lives to Jesus. And folks, that is, that is the greatest miracle of all of this. We believe God changes lives. He transforms lives. And it starts with the most simple but the most profound life-changing prayer. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me for going my own way. I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, those words seem so simple, but they are profound. I will encourage you. Helen Keller's story is this that uh, she was born healthy, happy little girl in 1880 in America. And when she was 19 months old, she got a disease. Doctors didn't quite identify what it was. They think it was scarlet fever. But the result of this disease, at the end of the disease, she was left deaf and blind. This little 19-month-old, healthy girl, left, left in that condition. Her parents didn't know what to do with her. She was, she now suddenly can't hear and can't see. She was a very frustrated, very angry little girl. And her parents just didn't know what to do with this little girl. So they sought help. And I just know that just that they sought help. Folks, the Bible says no temptation has overcome you except which is common to man. There's nothing you can go through that somebody hasn't gone through. Somebody can help. And they went to go look. They ended up with... Uh, Dr. Uh, Alexander Graham Bell, the great inventor who helped them and referred them to, to an institute that was training teachers to help the blind. And so they got this, lay, this lady, this, the, this, uh, this, this lady to come and help Helen, and her name was Susie. And Susie came to help her. And Susie got this angry, frustrated little seven-year-old Helen Keller. And she started trying to teach Helen how to associate, basically to speak. And what she did, she would make letters in Helen's hand and try and spell out words to her. Like she brought a doll and she tried to spell out doll. Helen couldn't connect the symbols that she was making in her hand with this doll. And, and Susie perse persevered and persevered and persevered. But a month later, the story, Helen tells the story. She said it was a hot summer's day and they were outside and, and, and Susie was running uh, cold water over her hand. And while she was running this cold water over her hand, she was spelling on her hand, water. And Helen, when she said, she wrote in a book when she was 21, she wrote the story of her life. And Helen said, her life up to that moment, she felt like she was at sea in a dense fog. She just couldn't figure out what was going on around her. She had that moment when she felt the cold water and, and, and this word being spelled. She suddenly made the connection that this water, what she's spelling, is what's running over her hand. Helen said it was like the fog just lifted. After that, I mean, the story is poor, 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 poor tutor. Helen would hardly let her sleep. She just took her around everywhere and she just had to spell every single word, everything in her, around, everything. She went and, had, and she was just a prolific learner. She had a brilliant mind. She wrote a total of 12 books. She actually was the first blind 
blind person, but remember she's deaf as well, to get a BA degree from a university in North America. She went on to graduate and she wrote 12 books and uh, the, the story is that um, she was a lecturer she, and she traveled to 45 different countries and this tutor who helped her, they were lifelong friends. Uh, they, they, they basically stayed together, uh, well they didn't stay together because the tutor did get married, but they would travel together for 50 years and Helen was such an inspiration across the world. She knew the name the one who was always with her. And he helped her to overcome incredible odds. I'm telling this story for, for a very important reason. I'm talking about fresh wings of new growth. When Jen and I went in 2009, we went on a trip to Bethel in North America, a church in North America, and it was a leadership conference, and uh, as part of the leadership conference, there was times that you could go and receive prayer and prophetic ministry, and Jen and I went. And there was this young man who shared this prophetic word with us, and he said he saw us digging a gold mine. And he saw us digging in the dirt and finding these gold ingots in the dirt. And, and, and there were so many things that just... He's from America. I don't know if he knows that this is what South Africa is known for. We have quite a lot of gold, okay? And I just saw that significance. But, but the reality of what we are called to do, folks... Finding gold ingots in the dirt is what we are called to do in terms of God called us here to plant one foot in the campus and one foot in the community and to, and to reach people and to clean the dirt off them and to bring forth the gold and, and, and to empower them and to equip them and to let them encounter Jesus and let them be trained in his word and let them come into the fullness of what God has called them to do. That inspiration, we've had these words about digging for so many years and I've kept that vision of digging the dirt. And I, I heard somebody was sharing just a while ago, I heard somebody sharing of how many tons of dirt a gold mine needs to work through to find an ounce of gold. It is astronomical, the, the tonnage of dirt to find an ounce of gold. And then he's up for And folks, that requires faith. That requires faith. Yes, hey, do I see your feet of clay? Do you see my feet of clay? I'm sure you do. But there's a reason that Jesus has taken hold of my life. The Bible, Paul writes in Timothy, and he says, I take a hold of that for which God took hold of me. There's gold inside of you. There's a calling. There's a purpose of God on your life, on my life. And, and as a pastor and, and as, a, as a church, our job is to discover the gold and bring forth the gold. Yes, we see the dirt. We're going to deal with the dirt, okay? As long as you're willing to deal with your dirt, and I'm willing to deal with my dirt, and I absolutely am. Amen. But we focus on the gold, not the dirt. Amen. I want to just um, share another little story, and you can just stay on this slide. Arthur Gordon uh, shares a story of he was... At, at home, it was the family home, and he was he was cleaning out the attic. Now in America, they always have an attic. You know, it was room in the roof where they all the all the junk from great granny and granny and mom and everybody. And he found he found this trunk, and inside this trunk were all these letters from his ancestors. And he started reading through these letters, and he said he was he was blown away. He said these letters chronicle the events of the past generation. 
in expressions of loyalty and affection and delight that were rarely verbalized in his immediate family. He said, one writer said, have I told you lately what a wonderful person you are? Never forget how much your friends and your family love and admire you. He said another letter said this, you don't know how much your visit meant to us. When you left us, I felt as if the sun had stopped shining. And Gordon read these letters and he, and he asked this of his generation, in other words, his kids and his family. He says, I don't know what generation of my family stopped to relieve, sorry, stopped to relieve, the release such emotions in their communication. But I do know that it seriously interferes with one of the deepest of all human needs, the desire for acceptance and approval. Why then, wanting to hear these words so desperately ourselves, do we deny them so often to the ones we love? I read that and I wanted to cry. He reads how previous generation expressed appreciation and thanks and value for each other and he looked at his current generation and says, why have we stopped when we so desperately want it? And folks, I want to submit to you. We're talking about faith. We're talking about seeing things that you don't see with these eyes. And I believe one of the most powerful ways that we can bring forth the gold is simply express appreciation and thanks whenever we see glimpses of gold in others. It's not difficult. You know, today it is so easy to quickly write a WhatsApp and say, you know what, Einstein, thank you so much that you came to band practice yesterday and you were there for the whole time making sure band practice was great. Thank you, my man. Amen. Wasn't difficult for me. But I want to tell you, sometimes just one word of thanks can make a person proud. And so I want to tell you, you know, this thing of digging for gold is actually so much easier than sometimes we think. You don't need a PhD in theology to be able to see the gold and just express appreciation and thanks for it. I want to just put up in the next slide four words. And these words have become very special to us. These words are reach, train, activate, and release. And these are four words that the Lord has spoken to us, and I'm not going to go and unpack the prophetic words the Lord has given us. But more than just saying, I really appreciate and value you, what you did, something. Folks, these words have just become so meaningful to us as a local church. What does it look like to be gold miners, okay? To stepping into identity as South Africans, okay? If we're going to be gold miners, what does it look like? Four words. We're going to unpack it now. We've had, we're going to have more leaders' meetings. And, and, and I've been speaking to our leaders and I've said, what does it mean to you? I mentioned Einstein. Einstein heads up our sound ministry. What does it mean for Einstein as, as the person who's heading up our sound ministry? What does it mean to him to reach, train, activate, and release? It's words God has given us to get rid of the dirt 
and bring forth glory. Amen. Reach, train, activate, release. Very special words to us. And, and we're gonna we're gonna just dig more in that and unpack that more in in, in, in the future. I want to go to the next slide. Helen said this, and I just want to come back to this lady's story. It's just so inspiring. Blindness is an unfortunate handicap, but true vision does not require the eyes. Mm -hmm. I want to just highlight that Helen described when, when that moment when the water and the words was, was um, spelt out in the hand. When Annie did that, she said, this disappeared in life. And I want to submit to you that we all need Annie's in our lives on our journey. I don't know what that looks like to you. You know, if you've got to the place where you think, well, I don't, you know, there are probably, probably just three options. Either you're just being a bit foolish, or a bit of pride has crept into your life, or You've been hurt and offended by an Annie somewhere along the road, and you say, I don't need any more Annie's in your life. Either one of those. Folks, I want to submit you to keep you in the midst of the fog. We all need Annie's in our lives. They come in different shapes and forms, different stages of our lives. We would not be talking about Helen Keller if it wasn't for Annie who came into our life. And we celebrate, we celebrate Helen Keller, but you know, maybe I should have put the picture of Annie up there. Because we wouldn't have known about Annie if it wasn't for Helen, if it wasn't for Annie. So I want to submit that to you. It's called discipleship, and it's something we're all called to do. Let's go to the next verse in Hebrews 11, and it is this, this verse, verse 4. Faith moved Abel to choose a more acceptable sacrifice to offer God than his brother Cain, and God declared him righteous because of his offering of faith. By his faith, Abel still speaks instruction to us today, even though he is long dead. And I want to just highlight what I've highlighted on the screen. Faith moved Abel to choose. Yes, faith is foundational, but folks, true faith will actually move you into action. It's not just forever and a day, sitting around, looking at the foundations you've dug, and kind of hoping that one day, faith will actually move you into action to say, okay, we've got to cast some concrete into these foundation trenches we've dug, and get going. Faith will actually move you into action. And James actually said, he said, you've got faith. He said, great, don't tell me you've got faith. He said, just show me your faith by your actions. Show me your faith by your actions. So faith will move you into action, amen? And it says, faith moved Abel to choose a more acceptable sacrifice. And I've underlined choose, because folks, if you look at your life, and I look at my life, your choices literally define the course and the direction of your life. If you look back, and you had to plot, you know, like a graph of where you went, many of us have faced many crossroads in our lives, or will face crossroads. And that ability to choose and your choices there have consequences. And so, by faith, folks, I trust that we continually will choose God's way, the right way, whenever you face a fork in the road. So, by faith, we always choose it. And it doesn't mean it's always the easiest choice. Sometimes the faith choice, the God choice, is not the easiest choice. That's just a reality. But the consequences, you look 10, 15, 20 years down the road from that choice, 
I want to submit to you that God's choice will always have, have, have be the choice that you will regret the least as opposed to any other choice. Absolutely. But he says here about faith Abel chose. And I actually want to tell this story. We can leave that slide on there. It's a story of, of Dale Walken. This is a lady. And she attended a conference, another, another conference story I've got for you. And she was at this conference and she had a friend, a man to catch the airplane uh, after the conference. And so her and a friend were, were moving out at the end of the conference. And there was another guy that uh, asked them if he could catch a lift with them to the airport. They were going to the same airport. So they got in the three of them. And so they asked this guy who wanted the lift. You know his name, who is he, where. And he mentioned that he was part of a particular church ministry. And the guy, uh, Dale's friend, um, immediately said, said, I know that ministry. And, and he said, literally in the article, he said in 1972, now I don't know about you, but 1972 is quite way back. And this story I, I came across quite recently. He said in 1972, he said, I attended a retreat that was organized by that this ministry and he mentioned where it was a particular place and he said you know that 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 retreat was amazing he said it was at that retreat that i chose i put the word chose that i chose to follow jesus that i surrendered my life to jesus and he said that decision has that didn't just change my life it changed my whole family he went on to explain that he was the first to choose to follow jesus and after that, his whole family came to the Lord. And he went on to say that his whole family had spent many years since 1972 basically serving God in Christian work, not all in full-time, five-fold pastoral work, but in various full-time capacities in church. His, 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 his sister was a missionary out in the mission field somewhere. And this, the, this guy, Dale's friend, he, he in particular had become a publisher of a significant Christian publishing house. And he was telling him about all the significant Christian books that over the years they published that had made a huge impact on many people across the world. And he's talking and he's talking about his family and all the things they've done for God. And he's getting quite excited. He's driving, he's looking at the guy. And he says, you know what? Actually, the whole world has been changed but what happened to me at that retreat, at that camp that you had organized, my decision, my choice, to follow Jesus. And he suddenly realized the guy at the back was very quiet. And he, and he thought, hmm, maybe I'm boring him with a story. He was getting carried away. He was just thinking about the consequence, the impact of that particular choice. And he said, oh, sorry, I'm getting carried away. I'm sorry, I'm probably boring you with my family's story. And he looked, and this guy was, was silent, but could see was moved by the story. And he said, I'm sorry, are, are you okay? You know, what, what's going on? And this guy said, he said, he said, I organized that camp, that retreat. He said, I was a young man. It was the first camp or retreat that I'd ever organized. And he said, until this day, I thought that that camp was the biggest disaster that I'd ever attempted in my life. He said, nobody, nobody gave thanks, and I didn't think that that camp had made any difference in anybody's life. Till this day, I viewed that camp as my greatest failure in my life. And folks, again, I come back to this thing. I started off by 
Let's give thanks to God. I spoke to you about just expressing appreciation for each other with the people around you. Here's a man who spent 30, 40, I don't even know how many years thinking that something that is all his effort in as a young man excited to organize this camp thought of a total disaster, not realizing that simple, heart, sincere decision by one man had actually impacted the world. And I, and I want to I just, just look at this verse again. Because it says, faith moved able to choose. I don't want us to underestimate the little faith decisions that we make every day. You see, faith, remember, is like a mustard seed, which Jesus said grows to be one of the biggest garden plants. Sometimes are small decisions. And sometimes, you know, it's not even that conscious. You just decide, you know, Lord, I'm actually going to do this. But as this man, it had radical impact. It thanks to his family, etc. And, and literally, he said it's impacted the world. Faith moves us, folks. And it moves us to make godly decisions. And I, I want to challenge you in terms of the decisions you make. There are many reasons we make decisions. Many people make decisions based in fear, which I want to submit to you is exactly the opposite of faith. If we trust in God for fresh winds and new growth, we can't make decisions based in fear. Some people just make decisions out of arrogance Pride, not a good way to make a decision either. Then me, I wanna I just want to ask you, when you face with this, just take just be quiet, just before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm making this decision in faith. Faith decisions change the world. Faith decisions, must and see decisions, have a radical impact. It says in the last line here, by his faith. Abel still speaks instruction to us today, even though he's long dead. And he's talking about that simple decision. What was this decision? Abel decided to bring the sacrifice that the Lord required, the sacrifice of one of his animals that he attended. And he brought that sacrifice, whereas his brother refused to bring the sacrifice that the Lord wanted. He was like, I'm going to worship God my way. You know? And he brought his vegetables, etc. And the Lord was not pleased with the vegetables because it was not the way the Lord is. You know, sometimes we're like, this is how I want to worship. I like, you know, the sound like this. Okay, Einstein, don't get take it personally. But some people will let you know. Listen, can you turn the sound down to this or turn it up to this? And I like worship from this time to this time, etc. And please don't go over. You know, the chicken, my chicken's going to go. I may be joking, maybe you think I'm playing. Okay, maybe you think I'm serious. If I am, maybe you're in my category. Okay. But we let's not let's not worship God the way I want it. David, David, and I shared that story on Thursday at prayer. You know, when David went to the threshing floor and he wanted to worship there, he wanted to build an altar at the place the plague had been stopped. And the man whose threshing floor it was said to David, he said, I'll give it to you, I'll give you the oxen and wood everything. And David said this. He said, I will not worship God with something that doesn't cost me something. And he says, here's 50 shekels of silver, which was a lot of moolah. That guy could have bought lots of new cows and shekels with that. David said, I will not sacrifice and worship God with something that, will not, that won't cost me anything. And the reality is, folks, I'm not saying that a faith decision isn't going to cost you something. 
The test means by, by his faith, Abel still speaks instruction to us. If you want your life to count, I want to submit you faith decisions will cause people to look at your life and your life will speak. Your life will speak to people way beyond your lifetime. See, faith lives on. Faith is enduring. Faith is transferable. Let's commit. I want to close in prayer. Let us commit to trust God for fresh wings and new growth. But folks, we're going to do it His way. We're going to trust God by faith to make wise decisions in our lives. I want to close in prayer. So Lord Jesus, God, as we come in faith to you this morning, and Lord, as we've looked at just, just four verses, just four verses in this incredible chapter, we've looked at some stories. God, at the end of the day, I pray that what would be remembered about our lives is our faith. Lord, and e even if it's just mustard seed faith, Lord, because mustard seeds make a big difference. They grow. And so, Lord, we bring to you, even if it's just mustard seed faith, Lord. And God, I pray, just as Abel was moved to make the right decision by faith. I pray for that inner conviction and the inner gumption, Father, that we would act on the mustard seed faith, Lord. Lord, if we're going to see the new things you're going to bring forth from our life, Lord, if we are going to see, be the gold miners that you've called us to be, Lord, we need to look past the dirt, the tons of dirt in some cases, see the answer of God. God, give us faith to see, Lord, as it says in verse 2, faith to see the golden fulfillment. And God, give us the courage to speak as Lord. Your word says faith speaks. Give us the courage sometimes just to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for doing the sound. Thank you for doing the worship. Thank you for giving me a glass of water. God, we come to you and we say, we surrender to a life of faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. And we'll see you at Live Pray on Thursday, right here, 5.30 as usual. And uh, church service, 9.30 next Sunday. Get the word out. Let people know. God bless you. It's fine.